from misfit to missionary in a moment, okay? So last week, we saw the woman uh, was an outcast of her community. She, she came to draw water in the middle of the day. Uh, she wanted to avoid people. She, she did not want... Um, she didn't want to be seen. So a couple of things it could be. She could be dealing with guilt and shame. She doesn't want to face anybody because she doesn't want to be reminded that her life isn't matching up, right? Anybody there? You know, I don't want anybody to see me because they may, they may see me and they may see right through me. One of the things I remember uh, a lot about insecurity is how we, we, we put on a mask and we're afraid that people, if they saw the real us, they wouldn't like us. That's, that's insecurity. We're so afraid of that what somebody else will think, then we can't even be the real us. Well, that's, that's tragic, isn't it? Living our life as pretending and, and so afraid that somebody will see the, the real us. Well, if they don't like the real us, then maybe they're not somebody worth having around, just to be honest with you. So she was a, an outcast, a misfit, right? She shows up at noon. Um, maybe she didn't want to see people because she didn't want to feel the staring gazes of condemnation. I don't know. But she was an outcast of her community. And here's the thing that I want to, I want to bring out from last week is that Jesus met her where she was. Not where you or I would have her be. This is one of the greatest failing parts of church today is that we want people to change before they meet Jesus. Jesus met her right where she uh, it was and he offered her living water. He already knew all the sin of her past and he knew all the sin of her present. She was living in a state in a sinful state. She was living in sin. And yet he offered her living water anyways. I think that that to me is one of the most remarkable parts of this entire story. And I think a lot of times what we do is we, we really just wish people would change first. I was a, for, for several years when we were church planning in Columbia, I worked at Gold's Gym. This was a long time ago when I was more fit, but um, I was a personal trainer. And it was amazing how often when people would come in, they would often talk about, well, I'm going to go lose weight before I join the gym. And I'm like, I don't know that you really know how this works. You join the gym to lose the weight. And, and, and so, you know, if, if you're wanting to, to do that, and so, you know, if that's your goal, you, you, join, how, you know, like, well, no, I, I really feel like I need to do this at home first. How's that working out for you so far over the last 20 years doing it by yourself? How, how well is that really? And, and that's the whole point is like so many people, they, we want, so here's the church also has the same mentality. Would you please change first? church is a hospital it's gonna get messy it's gonna get dirty and if you don't want to be a part of a church that gets a little dirty gets a little messy then you're in the wrong one because that's who we are this passage is who we are this is the passage is a reminder of what we're setting out to do so today we we we, we talked about the woman and how she was a misfit Last, last week and how we are a church of misfits. And, and today we're going to talk about the moment. So the, the, the title is From Misfit to Missionary in a Moment. We talked about the misfit. Today we're going to talk about the moment. The moment that changed everything. So before I get into that moment, we're going to build up to it. In uh, John chapter 4. 
This is kind of picking up in the middle of the story. If you missed last week, go back and listen to it. Um, but uh, today we're going to pick up here. So he offers her living water, knowing everything that she's doing and everything that she's living and, 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 and everything about her, he still offers her living water. She kind of replies, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus replies to her reply with this. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The thing that I find so remarkable is that he's talking about eternal life and she's still so focused on her best life now. We all kind of have that habit of doing that, don't we? He's, he's trying to give her something so much greater and better than what she actually has the perspective for at this moment. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. She didn't want to come back to the well. She didn't want to have to keep facing people. She wanted to be able to, could you just give me this water so that I won't be thirsty? I won't have to draw water. Maybe I can just stay inside and avoid people altogether. Give me that. You see, the reality is this. Her problem was she's looking for a quick fix. Just fix me. Isn't that what we all want, though? I mean, you know, Jesus, you're all powerful. You're all knowing. You, you're the, the great healer. You're the great provider. God, just fix me. Any takers, right? I mean, and, and we, we, we talk about celebrate recovery. And, and one of the things that I love, we end all, every session with, it works if you work it. It works if you work it. We don't want to work, though. We don't want to work at recovery. We want God just to fix it. I can't tell you how many times I've ran into people who, who maybe struggled with alcoholism or drugs, and they're just like, I just want God to take it from me. What are you going to, are you putting any work into this either? Or are you just wanting God to be the quick mechanic to fix your engine so that you can get back on the road and do whatever you want to do again? I think a lot of people, when I was, in, when I was serving as a personal trainer, you know how many times everybody wanted a pill? Do you got a pill for this? I'm not kidding you. I'm a personal trainer. I'm like, okay, you know, we, let's get on the treadmill. Is there a shortcut here? Is there, is there something I can take? Is there some kind of, you guys all take supplements to gain weight. Can we take a opposite of a supplement to get down? No, you're going to, it took you 20 years to get here. You're going to have to put some sweat to get back down but we don't want to work at it. We want the quick fix. Jesus didn't offer her a quick fix. He offered her a relationship. He says, I'm going to walk with you in this valley. I'm going to give you strength to get through the valley, and I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you, but I'm not giving you the quick fix. Man, if we could just get that, right? We so often just, God, take it away. I just don't want to deal with this. I don't want to see it. That's not what he offered, is it? But she didn't understand that. See, up to this point, she's been skeptical and doubting everything that he said. But, you know, hey, I'll take a flyer on a pill. Right? I'll, I'll take a flyer on that. I'll, I'll try this new thing. 
Even diets don't work. They work for a little bit until they stop. Or you realize that you can't live on cabbage alone. That was only five days. But what I'm wanting you to understand is that you worked really hard to get you in the place that you're at. It's going to take some work to get out of it. We live in a culture that says, I want, you know, we have an entire workforce. The, the, the generation of, that's working now, we have this mentality of saying, okay, I will work, I want the maximum payment for the least amount of effort. I remember when my dad, when I was growing up, and I'm like, Dad, I wish I got paid more. And he goes, well, work harder. If you work harder, they'll see that you're working harder. Then they will give you a raise because they don't want to lose your hard work ethic. That's not the world today. It's like, if you want me to work harder, pay me more. I'd like to know that you could work at all. But we have this quick fix mentality. That's the first problem that we see. Let's dig a little deeper here. Jesus then said to her, go call your husband. She says, I don't, I don't have a husband. He goes, you've answered correctly. You've said, well, I have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. Now he gets personal. Now it's getting a little personal, right? The woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let's deflect here. <laughs> let's, let's, let's not talk about, Jesus, you're getting a little personal. Now, remember back, what did he offer her? He didn't offer her the quick fix. What was he offering? A relationship. She's now saying, you know, hey, he says, hey, you know, why don't you go get your husband? Well, I don't have one. No, you've had five failed relationships. Now, here's the reality. We've had a lot. Let's just look at it as a relationship thing. A lot of us have had failed relationships, whether a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, or a friendship relationship, but a lot of us have had failed relationships, correct? And a lot of times when we have these failed relationships, we kind of, we kind of um, just go straight into another relationship, without fixing any of the things that was wrong in the first one. The woman completely, at this moment, she completely sidetracks that he's getting personal into her life, and she completely deflects and goes around this and says, I can see that you're a prophet. Let me ask you a spiritual question. Let me see if we can change the topic real quick. The second problem I see here is She's afraid of relationships. Why are we so afraid of relationships? Why are we so afraid of relationships? Why do we change the topic when it gets a little personal? Why do we change the topic when it gets a little uncomfortable? Why do we deflect? Why do we avoid Right? There's so many times where we're, we, we, we live a life avoiding people or avoiding certain people. We justify our actions. Skip over the personal stuff. And the reason why we skip over the personal stuff is because we're afraid of commitment. 
We're afraid of commitment. You know why we're afraid of commitment? Because when you truly commit to somebody, whether in a friendship or in marriage, you're making yourself vulnerable. Because the moment that you commit and you open yourself up, now they can hurt you. You can never truly commit to somebody when you have all your walls built up. You're not letting them in. You'll say, hey, I like some of the things that you offer me, but I'm not really going to let you in. You're not in a committed relationship. You're not really in a relationship at all. Because you've had so many walls built up, you're not letting them in. That's not real. You're playing house. You're playing boyfriend, girlfriend. You're playing, playing like you're in a marriage. You're playing like you're a good friend. You can't have that until those walls come down and you actually open yourself up to be hurt. Until you open yourself up and become vulnerable. Are you in a real relationship, a real authentic relationship? The other thing that we're afraid of is accountability. Yes, I went there. Yes. I don't know if it's because, you know, the culture that doesn't spank anymore. I don't know what, you know, it's like, you know, we, 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 you know when, when you spoil a child and you just let them do whatever they want to do, they, 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 there is no accountability in their life. Or I don't know if maybe, I remember a time that my dad, I mean, I got a lot of spankings. There was a time in my life, and I think probably every week and maybe multiple times a week he was tanning I mean like I have a flat butt today because my dad was a whoopologist I mean it's flat you know it's like it's permanently flat because of that belt I know it and um and so I remember you know I remember after one time he's like oh I'm gonna whoop you until you can't sit down for a week I'm like that's a long time now I did sit down before the week was up but I sure didn't want to for the first couple of moments afterwards. And I remember afterwards, I was thinking in my head, I'm never going to spank my children. My kids wish that that was still the case. But as I grew up, I was like, okay, I get it. I would not be the man I am today if my dad didn't teach me consequences for my actions. If he didn't teach me that when you do something stupid, something stupid's going to happen to you. It's kind of like the old Band-Aid commercial, right? Stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid, but today it's like, I'm stuck on stupid because stupid stuck on me, right? I mean, come on now. It's like, so here's the thing is, is that if we don't learn how to get the stupid out of our life through some consequences, how many of you guys would be honest enough to make, say that you've made some stupid decisions in your life, right? How many of you have been stu- stuck on stupid before, right? Okay, so the rest of you are just lying. It's all right. You're just stuck on stupid today. I'm just kidding. So, but seriously, no. Um, so here's the thing is, is that we, we get in these places where we just make dumb, dumb decisions, but there's no, we don't allow anyone into our life to hold us accountable. See, when you're in a real relationship, when you do something stupid, they let you know. I mean, my wife lets me know all the time. Thank you. Thank you for the, <laughs> you're, well, she, you're all welcome, you know? I mean, so the thing is, is that we don't want accountability. I'm an adult, don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. The reason why we don't want accountability is we're afraid of failure. And we're afraid to, if we let somebody close enough in that they can call us on the carpet when we're doing something dumb or when we're just failing in marriage, when we're failing in life, when we're failing financially, and then we allow somebody to tell us the truth and be honest in our life, 
We don't want them to tell us what we already know. But here's the reality. It's not about telling somebody that they're failing. It's not about the failure at all. It's about helping them not continue to fail. What we don't realize is that accountability is the greatest thing that we could have, and that's what true friendships and true relationships are about. I can't tell you how many wives get so mad at their husbands when their husbands are holding them accountable. I can't tell you how many husbands get so mad when their wife's holding them accountable. I've even been, there's been some times like Barbara holding me accountable, and she's like, I'm holding you accountable. Stop holding me accountable! Stop! I don't want you to tell me anymore! I mean, why do we do that? See, when you get into a real relationship, we're going to have to deal with commitment. We're going to have to deal with accountability. And you will never find any type of recovery in your life. And guess what? We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You will never have any kind of recovery without true accountability where you allow people to love you enough to speak truth into your life. You know what? When I'm acting like an idiot, I hope somebody loves me enough to say, Daniel, you're being an idiot right now. Anybody but my wife. I mean, anyone else can say that but my wife. But that's kind of how we act like, right? Isn't that how we often do accountability? Anyone can tell me but the person who's currently telling me. That's not relationship. So here's a woman, the moment that Jesus got personal, said, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. Let's talk about failed relationships for a moment. Oh, no, let's talk about where we should go to church. Right? But see, here's the thing is this. What Jesus knew about this woman, she didn't even know about herself. Here's the thing is she continued to have failed relationships because she kept seeking acceptance from someone who could never give it to her. If you are a woman and you are looking for acceptance through a boy, you will never find it. And you will, you will live your entire life in disappointment. And you will have one failed relationship after the next because he will never give you what he can't give you. A man cannot give you self-worth. Only God can. We have so many people here living today and they're walking through the world and they're looking for acceptance and worth in all the wrong places. That's why the moment that you meet Jesus, and I mean you meet him, and you have a real, authentic relationship, then you all of a sudden have purpose, you have worth, you have, you have acceptance. You have all the things that you've ever sought after in one meaningful relationship. Then when you have all of those things, now you can actually be in a successful relationship to the highest capability. I'm not saying that the people who don't know Christ don't ever have successful relationships. Not saying that at all. What I'm saying is is that there's there's a love if you're not saved and you do not have the love of God in you, there is one love you can never offer somebody. Agape love is God's love and his love only, and he's the only one who can give it. Agape love says I will love you no matter how stupid you are. That's that's the Greek definition. If you look it up in the Greek, if you know how to read Greek, that's exactly what it's not exactly what it says. But that is what, no matter what you do, God is going to love you unconditionally anyways. No matter what, he loves you. And guess what? I can never love my wife like that until I understand that. And the only one who can love me with that love is God. So the only time I could ever give that to my wife is when he's already been giving it to me. And I'm now able to take what I'm beginning to understand and love her. I love my wife better every single day because I'm understanding a little bit more about God's love. So the third problem that we see is that her perception is off. 
She said, I perceive that you're a prophet, right? Her perception is off. This is the third problem that we see in her is that that, that her perception was off. So perception is how you see just as much as what you see. A lot of times we think perception is just what you see. It's also how you choose to, so like a worldview is how you see the world. How does the world look through your eyes? So her perception of Jesus was off. First, she thought that he was just a Jew. Why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We don't have any interaction at all. We don't have any dealings. Yet he wanted to have an open one, right? I mean, he says, I want to have an open relationship here. I want to deal with you openly. She's like, no, Jews and Samaritans, we're, we're closed. Then she said, well, are you greater than Jacob? Are you greater than, than Jacob who gave us this well? Are you kind of like maybe like one of the patriarchs? Do you have that kind of ancestry? Then now that he brings up some stuff that he shouldn't know, all of a sudden her mind goes, oh, you're a prophet. Her perception of him is now the highest mark that she sees that he's capable of being is a prophet. And guess what? Jesus is more than a prophet. But my question to you is how many of you today underestimate Jesus like this woman did this woman here is saying oh I I see that you're a prophet oh but she doesn't know that he's all-powerful she doesn't realize that he's all-knowing she doesn't realize that he's the king of kings the lord of lords the great I am she doesn't yet understand and accept yet that he's the creator of the universe so she just sees this aspect of oh you know things that no one else knows okay You must be a prophet. So here's why I'm bringing this up. If your perception of God is wrong, then it's impossible for you to worship the real God. I want you to think about this. The wrong question we answer all the time. The wrong question is, who is God to you? That's the wrong question. The moment you begin to answer, somebody's like, well, who's God to you? The moment that they, do, they ask that and you begin to answer, then typically what you're going to do is give your perspective of who God is. What I want to encourage you to do is I want you to answer the right question, who is God? Who is God? Who does he say he is? Not who do I think he is, because the moment I start thinking who I think he is, I will then begin to think, what? here's the parts that I like about Jesus, and here's the parts that I don't. I mean, it's kind of like Talladega Nights when they said, you know, I like to think of my Jesus with a tuxedo t-shirt, right? There's more of you that watch that than the three that laugh. You're just, the rest rest of you is like, I want to act spiritual here and act like I didn't watch those heathen movies, right? Okay, so, but anyways, and they were all arguing. One's like, well, I like to think of Jesus as a baby, you know, eight pounds. And then the other one's like, he had a beard. He's a man, you know, but here's the problem. And why I'm saying this is that the problem is, is that all of us have our own perspective of who we think God should be. I like to think of God like this. And then what you do is you take yourself and make a better version of yourself and present that as God. Don't we? 
Or maybe we make the God up in our heads of all the things that we need. Well, I'm not doing very good, so I really like to think of God as merciful. And I like to think of him as gracious and loving. He is those things. But why did you skip over that God is jealous? Do we like to talk about the jealous? He even said in the Old Testament in Exodus, my name is jealous. See, God ain't playing around in our lives. He's not saying, hey, I'll play second fiddle to your phone this week. He ain't. You see, God is holy, God is just, and God is wrath. Don't like to talk about those parts. And so the, 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 the new movement of this, this um, false Christianity that's going on, I'll just call it false because of the progressive movement of Christianity, it's not Christianity at all. It's, it's a complete sham and a lie. What they're doing is they're like, well, we like to take the things about Jesus that we like and leave out the rest. Well, then you've just redefined who Jesus is to your own liking. In other words, this is what happens. You created an idol. You created an idol, and now you're worshiping that idol. That is not Jesus. You know what, Jesus? He turned over some tables in his day. He whooped some tails right out of that church He showed love, he showed mercy, but he also confronted sin. He spoke the truth unapologetically. He offended everybody. Can you imagine if Jesus showed up and today, the moment that he opened his mouth, the whole world's offended. Get over it! Man, the world we live in, come on! We are so easily offended. So, the right question is just who is God? Now, here's the most important verses. I skipped a slide, but I already said it. The most important verses that I think, and, and I've, I've just kind of brushed over them before. So she asks this question. I have to back up a little bit, but she asks this question. She goes, well, you know, I see that you're a prophet, you Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem, but us Samaritans worship, on the, worship God on this mountain. Who's right? Jesus then answered, he says this, you worship what you don't know. I tell you, the moment I read that, I'm like, oh, snap. You know, like, moment for offendedness is right now. You worship what you don't know. You don't even know God. I mean, if somebody came up to you and, 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 and you're like, well, you know, I'm confused about where I should go to worship, and they're like, you're, you don't even know God. You don't know what you're, you, you worship what you don't know. It almost could say you worship who you don't know. How many people are going to church and they're worshiping a version of what they think Jesus is rather than actually knowing who Jesus is? They're in the same boat as this woman, but they won't let anybody tell them. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such 
to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, get this. You cannot worship Him without a relationship with Him. You cannot have a relationship with Him until His spirit has joined your spirit in your heart. I'm so amazed by how he speaks so openly to her. You worship what you do not know. Let me tell you, I love the word worship. In college, I remember the greatest definition I remember in the simplest form, worship is saying I love you. That's the simplest form of worship is I love you. And then I began to think about all the different ways we express our love. Worship is an expression of your love. So, worship is often misunderstood as a song, right? Worship music. Hey, this is the worship time of our service. Songs, worship is more than just music. However, in song is a great way to say, I love you. Have you ever heard a song like on the radio, K-Love, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you hear the song, and you're like, oh, that's my heart. Right? Have you, how many of you have been, you, you hear a song, maybe even with us singing, and all of a sudden it grabs your heart like, that's my heart, God. I'm going to sing it out. These are the words that I mean to you. That's worship. Just because you can sound pretty singing or play an instrument wonderfully does not make it worship. And there's so many people who have no clue what worship really is. You know what? Did you know that, that, um, that, that this church got clean before you got here? Somebody did that, but you know what? That was a form of worship because they wanted to do it. I get in trouble if I say their name, Bill Knapp. And so um, I remember, you know, one day I said, hey, you know, you need any help? He's like, man, I, just, I, I do this because I love God. Right? You got people serving coffee. That's a form of worship because they're doing it because they love God and they want to serve people. When we have our big dinners, you know how much work goes into that? Every time somebody teaches a class, they're teaching a class because they love God and they want to tell somebody else how much they love God through His Word. Every time you turn around, you're going to find somebody who loves God and they're serving because they love Him. That's worship. They're expressing their love to God through what they're doing. Worship. You look around this building. I mean, I have been amazed that we could turn a lumber yard. This is beautiful in here, is it not? Okay. Do you know how much worship went on getting this done? Because people showed up and hung some sheetrock, right, Joey? You're like, I don't even like sheetrock. Here we go. I'm taking the biggest, toughest guy, and then I can just touch the end of the sheetrock with the big, tough guys just lifting it up. I'm like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to use the screw gun. You hold it up. Joey, you're doing all good. I know it's a 16-footer. You got this. I mean, what happens is people show up and they say, we love God and we want to be a part of this. When you're running the words in the back and you're running the soundboard, worship. Because if you're doing it because you can, that's not worship. The moment you say, I love God and I want to figure out how I can serve him, that's worship. The, the people who are teaching our children right now, that's worship. And so what happens is he's saying, listen, you don't even understand what worship is. You think worship is a location? You think it's a building you go to or a mountain you travel to? Or you think you have to go to Jerusalem? No, worship is your expression of how much you love God. And I don't see any love right now. 
When we love our sin more than we love our God, then there it's not worship. Not coming from a heart of worship. I love that song, Heart of Worship. I'm sorry for what I've made it. When we complain about serving in ministry, we've lost the heart of worship. The moment when we begin to complain about people in the church, we've lost the heart of worship. How often have we lost the heart? And that that's when we need to come back to that song and use it as repentance. God, I'm sorry for what I've made this. I'm sorry for my spirit and what it's turned this place into. I'm sorry that I've allowed my heart to have a spirit of complaining criticism. I'm sorry for what I've made this. He's trying to tell her he, she needs what he's offering. You need this living water because it wells up into eternal life. You need this relationship with me because you don't understand and you don't get it yet. She's worshiping what she doesn't know. Unfortunately, when people have the wrong perspective of God, they end up just trying to worship a better version of themselves. So here's the thing. I told you that this is about the moment. And what's so amazing is the woman comes back and she's confused. I mean, think about this. He's telling her something different than everything that she's ever heard. Same thing happened with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel, and Jesus met with him in chapter 3 of John. And, he's, and, and, and he was like, how can this be? Why, why are we born again? Why is it by the Spirit and water? Why, is, you know, why are we born again? And Jesus was like, well, you're a teacher of all of Israel, and you don't understand these things? If I'm trying to tell you about earthly things, then how in the world am I ever going to tell you about heavenly things? You see, so often when we meet Jesus, he's teaching us things that we've misunderstood, and he's correcting the hearts that we've carried around with us. He's correcting. That's why when we talk about you know, forgiveness, and we talk about letting things go, and we talk about healing, and we talk about all these different kinds of things, a lot of, a lot of us fight those teachings. Does anyone here say, man, I just, my favorite thing in the world to do is forgive when people really hurt me. Is anybody's favorite thing to do to forgive when somebody has just really hurt you? I mean, hurt you bad, right? Typically, that's the hardest thing. One of the hardest things to do is to forgive people. So then what Jesus did is he had to come in and really teach them, you need to let this go. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. Jesus comes and he, and, he, and he, in such a loving, merciful, gracious way, confronts us in the areas where we need him to confront, right? So here's the thing. She says, she has this confusion, and she's just not getting what Jesus is putting down. She's just not understanding the things she doesn't understand. So then she says this, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I mean, she is now realizing I'm standing face to face with the Messiah. The one that everyone's been waiting 
We've been waiting for Jesus. We've been waiting for him. He's here. I'm speaking to him. So now at this moment, she's going to have to make a choice in her life. Do I reject him or do I accept him? You see, I, I love how us preachers, I, I've done it so many times and I, I've missed this so many times. So we, all, there's been uh, probably just about every preacher that's preached a long time has preached a seven-week series on the great I am. Just ask them. If you ever get around a pastor that's preached a lot, hey, have you ever preached a seven-week series on the great I am? Because Jesus makes seven statements throughout the book of John where he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life. He, I am the gate. I mean, he goes through and he makes all these statements, but he actually says it eight times. I'm telling on myself because I, I'm like the, the king of the seven-week series. Not really, but, but anyways. So, But I went back and I'm like, oh my goodness, he actually has an eighth statement where he says, I am the Messiah. I am he. No one ever preaches this one when they do the seven-week series because there's actually should be an eight-week series. We miss this. Here he is with a woman, and, 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 and he told, even told his disciples when he sent them out, we're going to go to the Jews first. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go. Here's Jesus at, at a Samaritan village saying, I am telling you before I tell anybody else. This is his most direct statement in the entire New Testament where he says, I am the Messiah. I am the guy you're looking for. Why do we keep looking for what's right in front of us? We keep looking and we keep looking. And she says, well, I don't understand what you're saying. The Messiah is going to come. I am the Messiah is what he's saying. I am the guy. I'm the one you're looking for. Whatever you're looking for, I'm telling you, you find it in Jesus. Whatever you're looking for, whatever you have a need of in your life, I'm telling you, his name is Jesus. He's the name above all names. The name that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. The name is Jesus. Remember it. This moment that he says, I am he, and now I'm going to wait for, to finish this out. Not today. But I want you to know, the moment that he says, I am he, she drops everything and runs back to the village to tell everyone that she met the Messiah. When you truly meet Jesus, and I hope that you're hearing me, when you truly meet Jesus, he'll change your life. That when you truly meet him and you truly place your faith in him, that is the moment that everything in your life changes Everything changes. And, and most of you who have done this, most of you who have accepted him can know that everything changes. How many of you would testify today that when you met him, everything changed? And you know what? It's so hard to explain it to anybody else, isn't it? Somebody's like, why do you believe? Why do you believe? He changed me. I know what I was like before him, but I know what he's done in my heart. I know what he's done in my life. Changes everything in just a moment. Jesus. There's something about that name, isn't there? There's just something about that name. I don't know what you're going through in your life. 
But I tell you right now, the solution is Jesus. Jesus.